0: chapter eleven of visions and revisions by john cooper Pois. this librivox recording is in the public domain keats it is well that there should be at least one poet of beauty of beauty alone of beauty and nought else it is well that one should dare to follow that terrible goddess even to the bitter end that pitiless marble altar has its victims as the other altars the white implacable aphrodite cries aloud for blood for the blood of our dearest affections for the blood of our most cherished hopes for the blood of our integrity and faith for the blood of our reason she drags us blinds us tortures us maddens us and slays us and yet we follow her to the bitter end beauty hath her martyrs as the rest and of these keats is the protagonist the youngest and the fairest the most enamoured victim from those extraordinary letters of his to his friends and to his love we gather that this fierce amorist of beauty was not without his philosophy the philosophy of keats as we gather up the threads of it one by one in those fleeting confessions is nothing but the old polytheistic paganism, reduced to terms of modern life. He was a born pluralist, to use the modern phrase, and for him, in this congeries of separate and unique miracles which we call the world, there was neither unity, nor progress, nor purpose, nor oversoul, nothing but the mystery of beauty and the memory of great men. His way of approaching nature His way of approaching every event in life was pluralistic. He did not ask that things should come in upon him in logical order or in rational coherence. He only asked that each unique person who appeared, each unique hillside or meadow or hedgerow or vineyard or flower or tree should be for him a new incarnation of beauty, a new avatar of the merciless one he followed never has there been a poet less mystical never a poet less moral the ground and soil and subsoil of his nature was sensuality a rich quivering tormented sensuality if you will you may use for what he was the word materialistic but such a word gives an absurdly wrong impression the physical nerves of his abnormally troubled senses were too exquisitely too passionately stirred to let their vibrations die away in material bondage. They quiver often to remotest psychic waves, these shaken strings and a touch will send them shuddering into the high regions of the spirit for a nature like this with the fever of consumption wasting his tissues, and the fever of his thirst for beauty ravaging his soul. It was nothing less than the cruelest tragedy, that he should have been driven by the phantom flame of sex-illusion, to find all the magic and wonder of the mystery he worshipped, caught, imprisoned, enclosed, blighted, in the poisonous loveliness of one capricious girl. An anarchist at heart, as so many great artists are, Keats hated, with a furious hatred, any bastard claims and privileges that insolently intrude themselves between the godlike senses of man and the divine madness of their quest. Society, the public, moral opinion, intellectual fashion, the manners and customs of the upper classes what were all these but vain impertinences interrupting his desperate pursuit every gentleman he cried is my natural enemy the feverish fanaticism of his devotion knew absolutely no limits his cry day and night was for new sensations and such sensationalism a mere epicurean indulgence to others was a lust a madness a frenzy a fury a rushing upon death to him how young he was how pitifully young when the foam-born jealous of him as she was jealous of hippolytus hurled him bleeding to the ground but what poetry he has left behind him there is nothing like it in the world nothing like it for sheer deadly draining maddening drowsing witchery of beauty it is the very cup of circa the very filter of sun-poison a thing of beauty is a joy for ever a joy yes but a joy drugged from its first pouring forth we follow we have to follow but oh the weariness of the way what an exultant hymn that is the one in honour of pan which comes so soon in endymion the dim rich depths of the dark forest are stirred by it and its murmurs die away over the wailing spaces of the marshes obscure growths and drowsy weeds overhanging moonlit paths where fungoid things fumble for light and air hear that cry in their voluptuous dreams and move uneasily the dumb vegetable expectancy of young tree-trunks is roused by it into sensual terror for this is the sound of the hoof of Pan stamping on the moist earth as he rages for syrinx no one has ever understood the torment of the wood god and his mad joy as the author of endymion understood him the tumultuous groundswell of this poet's insane craving for beauty must in the end have driven him on the rocks but there came sometimes softer gentler less familiar tinctured moods which might have prolonged his days had he never met that girl the pot of basil expresses one of these wistful and heart-breaking it has a tender yearning pity in it a gentle melancholy brooding over the irremediable pain of love loss which haunts one like the sound of drowned angelus bells under a hushed sea the description of the appearance of the ghost of the dead boy and his vague troubled speech is like nothing else that has ever been written. St Agnes Eve, too, in its more elaborate, more premeditated art, has a beauty so poignant, so sensuously unearthly, that one dare not quote a line of it in a mere critical essay, for fear of breaking such a spell. The long-drawn solemn harmonies of Hyperion, Miltonian, and yet troubled by a thrilling sorcery that Milton never knew. Madden the reader with anger that he never finished it, an anger which is only increased when in that other version the influence of Dante becomes evident. La belle dame sans merci. Ah, there we find him, there we await him, the poet of the tragedy of bodily craving, transferred with all its aching, famished nerves to the psychic plane for la belle dame is the litany of the beauty maniac his death and life requiem his eternal dirge those who have ever met her this lady in the mead full beautiful the fairy child whose foot was light and whose hair was long and whose eyes were wild will know and only they the meaning of the starved lips through the gloom with horrid warning gaping wide and has the secret of the gasping pause of that broken half-line where no birds sing borrowed originally from poor ophelia's despair and echoed wonderfully by mr hardy and certain of his incomparable lyrics been conveyed to my reader but it is of course in his five great odes that keats is most supreme most entirely without question the unapproachable artist Heaven forbid that I should shatter the sacred silence that such things produce by any profane repetition. They leave behind them, every one of them, an echo, a vibration, a dying form, leaving us enchanted and trembling, as when we have been touched before the twittering of the birds at dawn, by the very finger of Our Lady of Sweet Pain. Is it possible that words, mere words, can work such miracles? or are they not words at all but chalices and holy grails of human passion full of the life-blood staining the lips that approach them scarlet of heart-drained pulse-wearied ravishment certainly he has the touch ineffable final absolute of the supreme beauty and over it all over the ardours and ecstasies hangs the shadow of death and in the heart of it an adder in the deep drugged cup coiled and waiting the poisonous bite of incurable anguish we may stand mesmerized spellbound amid the hushed cool-rooted flowers fragrant-eyed watching psyche sleep we may open those charmed magic casements towards the perilous foam we may linger with ruth sick for home amid the alien corn we may gaze awed and hushed at the dead cold little mountain-built town emptied of its folk we may glut our sorrow on the morning rose or on the wealth of globed peonies we may imprison our mistress's soft hand and gaze deep deep within her peerless eyes we may brood quieted and sweetly sad upon the last melancholy oozings of the rich years vintage but across all these things lies like a streak of red breath catching spilled heart's blood the knowledge of what it means to have been able to turn all this into poetry it means torment it means despair it means that cry out of the dust of the cemetery of rome o god o god has there ever been such pain as my pain I suppose Keats suffered more in his brief life than any mortal child of the muses. These ultimate creations of supreme beauty are evoked in no other way. Everything has to be sacrificed, everything, if we are to be like the gods, creators of life. For life is a thing that can only be born in that soil, only planted where the wound goes deepest, only watered, when we strike where that fountain flows he wrote for himself the crowd the verdict of his friends what did all that matter he wrote for himself and for those who dare to risk the taste of that wine which turns the taste of all else to a wearied irrelevance one is unwilling to leave our adonis whose annual wound in lebanon allures us thus fatally with nothing but such a bitter cry one has a pathetic human longing to help him as he was in those few moments of unalloyed pleasure the gods allowed him before consumption and that girl poison the springs of his life in those moments how they have passed into his poetry like the breath of the spring when the grand obsession was not upon him who like keats can make us feel the cool sweet wholesome touch of our great mother the earth that deep full of sweet dreams and health and quiet breathing which the breast that suckled persephone alone can give may heal us also for a brief while we too on this very morning listen reader may wreathe a flower-band to bind us to the earth spite of despondence some shape of beauty may yet move away the pale from our dark spirits. Even with old Saturn under his weight of grief, we may drink deep of the loveliness of those green-robed senators of mighty woods, tall oaks, branch charmed by the earnest stars. And in the worst of our moods, we can still call aloud to the things of beauty that pass not away. We can even call out to them from her very side who is the cause, the cause, my soul, of what we suffer. Bright star, would I were steadfast as thou art, not in lone splendour hung aloft the night, and watching with eternal lids apart, like nature's patient sleepless Eremite, the moving waters at their priestlike task of pure ablution round earth's human shores this desperate sensuous pain which makes us cry out to the midnight that we might cease upon it need not harden our hearts before we pass hence the gathering swallows twittering in the sky of our little interludes of peace may still attune us to some strange sad thankfulness that we have been born into life and even though life turned out to mean this and the vibrating stricken nerves of our too great devotion, may have at least the balm of feeling that they have not languished untouched by the fingers that thrill while they slay. After all we have lived, we also, and we would not change places with those happy innocents, who have never known the madness of what it may be to have been born a son of man. But let none be deluded the tragic life upon earth is not the life of the spirit, but the life of the senses. The senses are the aching doors to the greatest mystery of all, the mystery of our tyranny over one another. Does anyone think that love is greater, more real, more poignant, which can stand over the dead body of its one of all, and dream of encounters and reconciliations in other worlds? It is not so. What we have loved is cold, cold and dead, and has become that thing we scarcely recognise. Can any vague spiritual reunion make up for the loss of the little gestures, the little touches, the little ways we shall never through all eternity know again? Ah, those reluctances and hesitations, over now, quite over now. Ah, those fretful pleadings, those strange withdrawals, those unheeded protests, nothing, less than nothing, and mere memories, when the life of the senses invades the affection of the heart, then, then, mon enfant comes the pitch and the sting. And this is what happens with such doomed sensualists as Keats was. What tortured him in death was the thought that he must leave his darling. And the actual look, touch, air, ways, and presence of her forever. Vain, as that inspired lover, Emily Bronte, cries. Vain, unutterably vain, are all the creeds that would console. Tired of hearing simple truth, miscalled simplicity. Tired of all the weariness of life, from these we would be gone. Save that to die we leave our love alone but it is not only in the fatal danger of eternal separation from the flesh that has become to us more necessary than sun or moon that the tragedy of the senses lies it lies in the very intensity with which we have sifted winnowed tormented and refined these panthers of holy lust those who understand the poetry of keats recognize that in the passion which burns him for the heavenly quintessence as Marlowe calls it there is also the ghastly danger of reaction the pitiless hands of joy are ever at his lips bidding adieu and veiled melancholy has her sovereign shrine in the heart of all delight there is a curse upon those who follow the supreme beauty that is to say the beauty that belongs not to ideas and ideals but to living forms they are driven by the gross pressure of circumstance to forsake her to leave her to turn aside and eat husks with the swine it is the same with the supreme mystery of words themselves out of which such an artist as this one was creates his spells and his sorcery how after tasting drop by drop that draught of lingering sweetness long drawn out of his unequalled style can we bear to fall back upon the jabbering and screeching the howling and hissing of the voices we have to listen to in common resort ah child child think carefully before you turn your candid innocent eyes to the fatal entrance to these mysteries it is better never to have known what the high terrible loveliness of her of melos is than having seen her to pass the rest of our days with these copies and prostitutions and profanities and parodies which mimic humanity so abominably that is the worst of it that is the sting of it all the great quests in this world tempt us and destroy us for though they may touch our famished lips once and again before we perish one thing they cannot do one thing beauty herself, the most sacred of all such quests, cannot do, and that is to make the arid intervals of our ordinary life tolerable, when we have to return to the common world and the people and things that stand gaping in that world like stupid staring idols. But what matter? Let us pay the penalty. Let us pay the price. Is it not worth it? Beauty, O divine, O cruel mistress, Thee, thee, we must worship still, And with thee the acolytes who bear thy senses. For the secret of life is to take every risk without fear, Even the risk of finding oneself in exile, With no shrine, no grove, no oracle, No heat of pale-mouthed prophet dreaming, In the land without memories, without altars, without thee. End of chapter 11.